tuning into the strong kind podcast today's episode's guest is sophia veras sophia is a powerlifter she's a doctor of physical therapy she is a pelvic floor specialist she's a national champion powerlifter she's just a really cool person we had a great conversation about strength powerlifting uh health in general in particular like women's health and pelvic floor health um, it was a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, check her out at sof.squats on Instagram. And uh, let me know how this episode hits you. Thanks. Peace. No, I'm in sweatpants right now. I'm actually, I have a massage right after this. So I'm like taking care of myself a little bit. Uh, I booked it like three months ago and then I forgot about it. So that was kind of chaos. I didn't put it on my calendar. But uh, <laughs> no, I like to just jump in because that's this is kind of the good stuff that like people oh, actually listen to is like what we're actually like. And um, so, no, you look very nice. Uh, your, your, your curls and um, like... This is kind of, I, I always like talking to you because you're both like, and I hate even starting here, but like, you're, you're like both feminine, but you're strong as shit. And you're also like a wrestler, which is really cool. Uh, you're, you know, former wrestler, you probably could still take people down and stuff, but, uh, so you kind of like do a really good job of, um, like navigating because strength still seems like such a masculine pursuit and even though a lot has changed like it's still there's still people out there literally pb my dog's going crazy but i literally had a, a woman um who's just started with me yesterday i was a coaching client and she's like you know it was just something that i didn't think i could do like as a woman or like it wasn't something we we're supposed to do so that's kind of where i want to open this conversation up is like what i mean what got you into lifting and then what do you think is changing for like, you know, women in sport, um, people of all kinds when it comes to lifting? What where like let's just open up there. Nice. Well, this is this is a deep start already because this has been a long time coming. I guess I didn't introduce myself to your podcast, people. I'm but... gonna introduce you. You <laughs> definitely can. So I, I'll do like an intro before we do it. But yes, this is Sophia Maris. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started lifting weights as the only girl on the men's wrestling team. And that's pretty much what lifting weights was. It was this very male dominated sport. You'd have maybe one or two girls in there, but it wasn't organized by any means. Like this was lifting weights for wrestling and football. Uh, so that's pretty much where it started. And so I continued to lift weights for wrestling, but I never really saw it as its own sport. Like wrestling was really what I focused on and ended up accomplishing my goals for wrestling. So I won nationals in college. Uh, it was great, fun time. Ended up with a really nice skin infection after nationals that I was like, you know what? I, uh, I'm good leaving it here. This was a, a great place to leave it. And honestly, at that point, I didn't even play sports anymore. So I stopped for two years. I was like, let me focus on PT school, being a good student. And that's not me at all. Like I need a sport to play. It keeps me more disciplined uh, honestly went through a pretty bad breakup and needed something to kind of pull myself back together. Ended up joining the powerlifting team where my best friend talked me into joining. So she was already there, but there was also a community of maybe like 15 other girls doing this. Uh, so it was pretty cool to just start going with them. And I wasn't the only girl in the weight room anymore. Um, so I had that community. This was around 2013. And I'll say that the sport has changed tremendously since uh, the amount of women 
entering the sport of powerlifting, entering the weight room, trying to look cute while doing it too, you know, like it's not this, all right, you wear grungy clothes anymore. Like, no, people have cute outfits. They go in, they lift heavy weights. Um, you're even seeing this on the platform. Girls are curling their hair, doing their makeup, and then smoking world records. So it's really awesome to see how far the sport has come. Um, but I think now by women having those role models, they're not thinking, oh, I'm not going to lift weights because I'm going to get big and hulky, which used to be the thought. Now they see pretty girls doing this and they're like, oh, well, if they can do it, why not me? Yeah, no, I love it. And I like it I kind of can be whatever the heck you want it to be, too. Like if you want to curl your hair and like do it up, great. But also like you kind of shouldn't worry about it. Like if you, like I lived in, and I lived in my garage. So it's like, but even if I did go to a gym, like I would literally go in like, the, and I'm a man. So it's a little different, but like, I just literally go in like whatever I had on, like, you know, sweatpants, t-shirt. Um, and, and there's just, there was so many like perceived barriers. Right. And a lot of those are coming down, which is really good. Um, and I think people are just realizing like, <clears throat> life is better when you're strong. Like life is better when you're capable. Um, for you mentally and physically, right? Um, and it's really good. You know, we 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 both kind of navigate maybe some narratives that like make it seem like you have to like kill yourself in the gym to make progress, right? And that's one of the things I think I, I kind of try to actively um, break down on a regular basis. And you posted about this yesterday and it was more from a powerlifting perspective, but like saving saving it, for the platform or just even saving it because like if you hit it today if you hit a high number today or you hit a max today like what are you doing from like a fatigue standpoint what are you doing from maybe kind of breaking yourself down where um you're not going to be successful in a couple weeks when it, you very well could still hit the thing well right but like what are some of the misconceptions like powerlifting and lifting and training in general that um, people have that like you are actively trying to combat? Mm, I would say, I think the art of sustainable training is still being found kind of like you said, people, maybe even in the past, like if we think lifting in the 1970s, right? Everyone went ham all the time. It was full send RPE 10, everything. Your main lifts, your accessory movement. Um, how many of them are still lifting now? You know, give them a ton of credit. They got super strong, but I don't know how many people are still lifting into their 60s and their 70s. And then that's where I think the artistry of sustainable training comes in where, yes, I want to lift heavy now and, and I'll probably see my peak in the next like 10, 15 years. But like, I still want to be lifting at 70 and 80. Like, I want to be that person on the platform um, to set that example. And I know that's not going to happen if I'm going RPE 10 all the time now. And I call it just living to lift another day. You know, I'm going to take what's there on the day, be smart, listen to the RPE, and then walk away so that I'm still here to do this tomorrow, a month from now, years from now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it. it's one of those things. It's like, it's really hard to not put a little bit more weight on the bar, right? Or it's really hard to not chase numbers because it is a very objective thing. And we, a lot of us, even if like, like in the beginning, you know, my, my initial lifting journey was not great, but I still got like the newbie gains at one point. And I'm like, all right, so now I do see the way. And it's like, okay, I can just throw five pounds on the bar every every session. And 
that you like get addicted to. Whereas like when you start to get you're an intermediate and it's like there's going to be waves like where you might be 20 pounds below where you were a week ago on your squat or, you know, on your deadlift or whatever. And like that kind of humbles you and it makes us feel like we're like not succeeding, which we got to like learn. And that's why coaching is really valuable. Right. And there's a lot of things that are really valuable. Um, So talk to me about, okay. Wrestling. What was the lifting like for wrestling? And then how did you change and become more powerlifting oriented? Like what, what changed for you? Definitely. Well, and I hope that no high school strength coaches take this offensively, but I don't think we were actually taught lifting. <laughs> like, we, we, I mean, remember they were teaching like 70 of us in this room at the same time. So yeah. our lifting skill development was not really there in terms of like actual coaching. Hey, this is what you need to do better to get this better on the next set tweak this here, build some more tension going to the hole, et cetera. Um, I will say the lift I was always good at was bench pressing because in wrestling, if you could push a person who's your body weight off of you, you can generally push a body weight bench. Yeah. Uh, so that was probably like the first one I gravitated to deadlifting. I kind of liked squatting. I hated. <laughs> it was like, I, I just don't think they coached us on depth well and things like that. Uh, so when I switched over to something like powerlifting, I was like, okay, you need to get uh, your hip crease below the top of your knee. You need to be getting some real competition pauses and things like that. Um, so just kind of really crisped it up. And I think I learned a lot more with the process because we didn't actually run programs for wrestling. Uh, and that's really the artistry is the program where we would go and there would be some stuff written on a whiteboard and we would do the stuff on the whiteboard, but like, I don't even know if there was a progression week to week of what we did on the whiteboard in hindsight. Uh, so I'd say that powerlifting just took maybe the lifting foundations of wrestling and then amplified it by adding a program and adding some comp specific work to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I think if you're a high school weight coach and you're like, or like a lifting coach or a high school football coach or wrestling coach, and you're like, butthurt by the statement like that, like, you're probably the one that's not doing a very good job. Right. And I also just think back, like, I mean, honestly, most of us in high school should have just been doing like box squats, like just have a squat to a box. Like it would make it so less like anxiety, so much less anxiety inducing because squats really just are like, you're kind of just in space without really knowing what the heck you're doing for a little while. And like some people pick it up really fast and like, but me, I'm sure I was like a giraffe on skates, like, just like, Oh God, I just want to see some old video because I just didn't know what I was doing. But if you would have literally put, Hey, all right, barbells on your back. There's a box back there at about, you know, like where you're right about parallel, just sit to it. I probably would have figured it out. Right. And that's one of those things. Our ego gets in the way. It's like, no, nah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Right. So, um, no, and I think it's funny too because there is a lot of artistry and like programming. Um, and it's definitely one of those things that I think a lot of us get lost on. Like when we're beginning, okay, so me and you are both doctors of physical therapy by background, but we also do strength and conditioning or strength coaching, powerlifting coaching. Like I'm a little bit more generalist to some degree. Um, but like what, what are the big elements of like a good program in your mind? Like, what are the things that people should focus on? Mm, you know, I'll say that the longer that I've been doing it, the more I appreciate the keep it simple principle, uh, you know, squatting, benching and deadlifting. Yes. Those three movements should be in your program. 
in varying degrees of frequency. And that's really individual, right? But I would say in general, two to three days a week of squatting, benching, you can handle a little more frequency. It can be anywhere from two to four days a week of that. Deadlifting can actually do fine with a little less frequency where your squat builds your deadlift. So as long as you're getting sufficient squat volume, deadlift tends to go up with it, but you want to get it in at least once a week for the technical nuancing. Some people respond fine at twice a week. This is, I would say, the artistry of finding what works best for you and then attacking some accessory work. But even then, keeping it simple, I think, oof, the trends in the fitness industry and rehab too, all like these little band things and not to knock band exercises, but time and a place for them. And usually in the gym is not them, like mainly like rehab setting. So like basics, rows, uh, RDLs, you know, hit some leg work, some arm work and attack your weaknesses there. Um, and then choose the movements you like, I would say is probably the other part of this. Um, as much as I love powerlifting and I, you know, that's my main sport. I dabble in a little strong man. I'm like, oh, let's do farmer's carries or hit the log. Uh, so if something just brings you joy, work it into your program. 100%. And there's there's definitely seasons like uh, you just competed. Did you just compete or are you, are you planning? Are you in prep? Like I got the Arnold in two weeks. That's right. So like you're very much like specificity driven right now. And after the Arnold, I'm sure things will change, right? And that's the other things kind of that the, the longer you get into training the the more you realize okay there's some nuance into like yes squatting benching deadlifting but what are those movements like does they have to be low bar squatting all the time maybe not right um yeah and like the arnold's in two weeks so that's an awesome competition and we'll talk about that a little bit more uh but i think it really is simplicity and then like there is i actually was just talking to a fellow uh friend of ours john flag who is going to be on this podcast teaser uh <laughs> in the not too distant future, but it's like, there's a, there's like an intersection between like stuff you have to do and stuff you want to do. And like novelty that like, if we can find that, like where you're, there's just a little bit of fun in your program, like then great. Right. Like, um, or for me, like literally what makes it fun is I just have a basketball hoop outside my garage and I just go shoot hoops in between sets. And like, that makes training enjoyable, especially like this last week, I've been kind of sick and I've been a little low energy wise and it's like that's the thing that's gotten me to enjoy training this week and like that's what we want to figure out like i literally have people on my roster i'm like hey we need to figure out a way to get you excited and and that might look at your program but it also might look at like what are we doing outside of out of training right so this is segues into my other question <clears throat> have you ever had like powerlifting be like an all-consuming thing in your life and did that was that good or was that bad or do you see that as a tendency of people? You know what I'm saying? Definitely. And I think that this speaks to a position of privilege, if you can be in that. And like, if if you can devote 100% of your life to powerlifting and you don't have to worry about a job, a degree, you know, other things going on in your life, like that is an awesome privilege to be in. Uh, you know, I've definitely tried to kind of create that for myself. I definitely know that there's been moments where, I gave a lot into powerlifting, but I still had to find balance with the other things I was doing in my life there too. Uh, I'd probably say the most gung-ho was definitely in the collegiate days. It was like, besides physical therapy school, my life was powerlifting. Um, but even then I still had fun, you know, I still party and, you know, good, <laughs> good times getting that out too. But 
uh, I would say probably training for worlds was like the most all-consuming powerlifting was. I was determined to win. Uh, we got, you know, I did win and I, we won as a team. So that was pretty cool. Now I've let go of like, yeah, winning is cool, but I find that if I can't focus on that, I focus on my own personal performances. Even I told my coach about uh, the Arnold, you know, honestly, the girl who's seated number one, she's not in touching distance right now. And that's okay. Like, I don't want to like, yeah, it could be cool to be number one, but that's not my mission. My mission is to go nine for nine, put together a really beautiful day, hit some PRs along the way. And like, if I put together the best day I can, I know that that's all I could have left on that platform here too. And it balances out with well, now I have other things going on that I care about. You know, I run a business, I travel all over and teach, and I want to be able to do those things. So it means that, yes, I'm okay with the number two, but I'm still satisfied with my performance. So I think it does take a level of maturity to accept these things too. Yeah. Number two in the world that like what you're doing is pretty <laughs> badass. And I think you should like try to remind yourself that, right? Like, uh, like such a high caliber thing right at such a high level of um competition and then i think like this is one of the things that i have realized and i i definitely have tendencies like um whether like of neurodivergence or adhd or whatever it is but like the more my like identity is tied into like a singular activity the more like when that thing is a little off like i'm completely off right and and i think i see this especially like, I love powerlifting. I love Olympic lifting. I love CrossFit. I love playing sports. Like, those are things I literally, in any of these things, I'm going to try to engage in uh, my whole life. But, like, and it's probably just something about being in your, like, early 20s, like, where you're just trying to figure out who you are. But, like, people get so wrapped up. Like, I was at a powerlifting meet coaching a couple of my clients, and they're both, they're 24, no, they're 25 and 27, respectively. And, like, they both had fun. And then there was a, a couple people early twenties, like they weren't having fun. Like they were not having fun. And I'm like, all right, I hope you stick with this long enough to get back to the stage where you're going to have fun doing it again, because you're just like making yourself miserable. Right. Um, and so like, that's the thing we kind of do with everything. It's like, it kind of becomes like all en encompassing. And then we attach like our happiness to it. And really happiness is just a byproduct of us doing the stuff we love and outcomes are just the product of us doing what like we should over and over again, doing our best over and over again. Right. So with that, like you work with, um, it's Jeremy Harmon, right? Yep. You, you are super knowledgeable of powerlifting. You're really good at it. Why do you work with a coach? Oh, good question. And this is actually how I got the inspiration for my post that I made yesterday. Uh, where holding back is a skill. And I truthfully need a coach to hold me back more than I need them to push me forward. Like I'm very self-driven. It's very easy for me to push myself too hard. Uh, and he'll definitely push me for sure. Uh, but there's also times where he's like, so you literally just did a meet. You can lift twice this week. You're fine. Versus old soap would go, uh, I'll tell you what I used to do after meets. After meets, I used to become an Olympic weightlifter for a week. I would pretty much kill myself doing all this Olympic weightlifting, which I was not conditioned to at all. Strong man. And I would be toast. I would be more toast the week after a meet than I was after the meet. Um, effectively, <laughs> I continued to do this, ran myself into the ground and was like, you know what? 
I do need someone else to hold the reins because I make better decisions for my athletes than I do for myself. Uh, and I get too tempted to test the limits, but I feel like with a coach, I just make smarter decisions. It's like, okay, these are the numbers I'm anticipating hitting. If warmups don't feel good, let's go here, but let's make sure this is a smart call and that we're not blowing the platform performance here either. Yeah. That's a very common theme uh, because it, it's, there's a level of uh, a level of objectivity that we don't have with ourselves. Right. And that, um, you know, like, I just, I, I loved uh, the Chicago Bulls of the nineties. Like I was, I'm in Iowa. So like, I loved the Phil and Michael relationship, right? Like Michael Jordan's the best basketball player in the world, right? Like that team was the best team in the world, but like Phil knew how to like push the buttons of people. Right. And that was so cool to me. Right. And that's kind of the cool thing about developing. One of my clients just sent me a picture this morning of that. She's been with me for 450 workouts, which is wild. Right. Like super cool. Um, and there, have you ever read, uh, do you know who Dan Cleather is? I know Mark knows who Dan Cleather is, Dan Cleather is because he's referenced his books, but The Little Black Book of Training Wisdom. Have you ever I seen that? You're, you're the big reader of the... Of the... No, uh, maybe I'll send it to you because it's really good. It's so simple. And he's basically like good coaches. Like, so athletes are going to push themselves. Selves, good coaches are just, the, they're good at finding like the right rhythm and the right, like, hey, pulling back on the reins when you need to pull back and then saying, all right, let's set ourselves up for this. Like, that's what coaching is really about for people. Um, and the other thing that that's books is really good at emphasizing is like, if you are beating the crap out of yourself on a regular basis, you are not training, you are performing, right? And that is not advantageous for like athletic pursuit, right? There's some realms where we know that it can be beneficial, but uh, it's just, and he, he just hammers that point like over and over again. So it's a good reminder. But um, when it comes to like you coaching other people, what are the things that kind of are themes that pop up that you help people navigate? Um, well, I do like, I really focus on bridging the gap. So most of my people are already lifters and maybe they got stalled in their lifting because they got injured. Um, so it's finding that sweet spot of dosage of what their bodies can tolerate without pissing off these maybe prior injuries. So I would say that's a big thing that I focus on. And another reason why I'm so big on sustainable training, right? Because this is what unsustainable training results in, right? These yeah. nagging aches and pains. But if you, you know, really take the time to, you know, it's, it's just starting with the minimum effective dose. What's the least that we can do that you're still seeing progress and nothing's hurting? Awesome. Cool. And then you can layer on a little more dose. And this is how we're dosed with any medications in real life. And especially if we're treating movement as medication, I really big on finding that sweet spot of dosage for people. Um, other big things that I work with, I'm on the high level of pelvic floor performance. So learning how to not pee yourself while you're lifting 300, 400, 500 pounds is what these girls are lifting sometimes. Uh, so learning, breathing, bracing strategies, those kind of things. Uh, that also comes back to the dose response relationship, though. It's finding that threshold for individuals to work under. Yeah. So let's talk more about this because this is something. So Mary was my podcast guest last week, my wife. Yeah. Um, and this is something that she's very passionate about, too, because pelvic floor therapy is not just Kegels, right? Like it's not just X, Y, Z there's a relaxation and there's a stress component, like a, like a physical stress, there's a cognitive stress component, but like 
Yeah. What, um, what are the, some of the things that you have kind of, I mean, I, I hate to use the word combat again, but I, like, I will like the narratives in that realm that you have are actively working to like help people understand, um, when it comes to lifting, when it comes to pelvic floor, um, like, like therapy or just the management of pelvic floor symptoms, that type of stuff. Yes, this is probably one of the topics I'm most passionate about and get heated on. Uh, I think for too long, women were just told to suck it up. Well, first of all, we didn't have this many women lifting, right, until more recently. And now, unfortunately, we're pushing the limits of human performance and figuring out that we pee ourselves during these moments. Um, but that's not what I want the audience to take away from this. If women are lifting 400, 500 pounds, that's what I want them to be remembered for. Not the fact that they pee themselves doing them or doing this. And I think right now, the only solution being provided is, oh, just suck it up, put a pad in, don't drink as much water, go to the bathroom before you lift. And these can be strategies, but they're not the only strategies. And there is something that can be done about these things, uh, but it has to get pushed to that threshold. So I think the problem is we know that there's a big gap between even orthopedics and return of performance that gap is even bigger in the pelvic health land. Uh, it's rough. In, in most pelvic floor PT situations, you're not even getting really off of a table. You're not being loaded with more than more than 15 pounds. I swear, if, if you're getting loaded more than 15 pounds in pelvic floor PT, they're at least doing a good job for you there, but it's not taking you to 200 to 300 pounds. So that's really what I help people do is how do you get to these higher level loads? And then- Besides working on some of the like technical breathing, bracing, those things, it's learning how to regain your technique under load if you lose it. So let's say something people know, upper back tightness in the squat. So you get it all nice and tight, you walk it out, you get your big brace, and then maybe you hit the hole and you get pitched forward and you lose it a little bit, but then you're able to figure out how to rescue yourself from that position. So yeah, maybe you're a little more folded over than you wanted it to be, but you start lifting up your chest, you get your back back underneath you and you get to drive back into the bar. Learning how to do that with your pelvic floor is a skill. So there's the breath and the brace that you get at the very top. Hopefully you can hold it the whole time, but sometimes you get pitched forward, you lose that positioning and you have to fight to get it back. And this is like very high level neuromuscular control in case you're wondering, uh, but that would be like, high level pelvic floor performance yeah no so i mean i want to talk more about this because i like i'm i'm fascinated and i do coach a decent amount of of women and i also like i live with a pelvic floor therapist and someone who's getting more into lifting uh for a variety of reasons but like all right take me through all right you have somebody who they come to you and they are capable of they they're capable of deadlifting let's say like 350 right but that could be a crapshoot whether or not they they do have I'm just going to call it leakage or they, they, they urinate when they, they hit that top threshold. Right. Um, like what, what are the things that you help them think about, um, and work through as maybe a progression or does that make sense? Is that a good, is that a good way to put it? Definitely. So I would say low hanging fruit on the modifiable factors first, uh -huh. uh, do a bladder diary for me for a few days. Let's see if we can just time your fluids differently. Uh, a big one is people will overconsume fluids. 
So the whole bodybuilder trend with the gallon of water a day, most people, I would say the majority of women do not need a gallon of water a day. And no amount of appropriate breathing bracing strategies are going to work if you're that loaded internally. So first getting the right amount of fluid ounces per day, then also figuring out where is it coming from? Is it actually water? Is it coffee? Uh, only because coffee can be a bladder irritant. So any caffeine sources, things like that you'd be surprised. You can rein in a lot of things just focusing on those low-hanging fruits um, and then getting the basics of breathing and bracing. So I'll still keep having them load their stuff, maybe sub-threshold, let's say they start peeing at 275, but 250 is okay. Maybe it's not that crapshoot. Cool. Let's work at 250 for a little while, build some tolerance here, while on a separate day, I'm having you do just isolated breathing, bracing, pelvic floor contractions, uh, making sure Contractions are being performed in two different ways. So learning how to hold it uh, like a long, strong contraction versus a quick flick. This is like a different muscle capacity. So we're thinking strength training versus running. You need both strength and you need endurance of these muscles. So you have to train those. Uh, once you get that by itself on that separate day, we start layering it in more into your actual lifting days. Okay. Um, for example, the leg press is a really easy place to transition this. So I have you laying down, you're figuring out squatting, bracing, breathing, those kind of things. Let's start taking it into the gym and have you think about this with your movements. And then we start progressing it that way. It makes sense too that like the like the leg press is a great transitional activity because you take a little bit of a stability component out. It's very similar positioning. And it's crazy how much of the associative mind we have. Like it's like you can take one thing and bridge that gap. So that was like, that's a very good segue or bridge. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that is overarchingly important, and this is like a narrative across like lifting and sport and strength is like, there's usually stuff we can do. There's usually modifiable factors. Like, and some of that people kind of like, I think one of the things I have to, I, I navigate and I think I see is like, well, I don't want to have to do, I don't want to have to like log. I just want to be normal. It's like, nobody's normal. Like if this can help you just log for a week, right? It's same with like food and stuff. Like I don't want to have to, uh, like I, I tell people like, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but if you want to improve like your nutrition, we have to track something, right? So that's maybe taking a picture every of whatever you eat for a week or if it's, it's logging and tracking macros, like that's great, but you don't know what you don't know until we like track it, right? And that's like one of the hard things. And then it becomes easy because it's like, okay, I see my pattern. All right. Yeah, I, I'm actually when I'm getting to 315, like I my my technique breaks down in a way that puts me in a position where like, you know, I'm going to lose it, right? And then we can get better, right? So no, I love that. It's a really good perspective. When it comes to um like when it comes this is my like big question for you, like super high-end threshold, like literally like you're you're on the platform at worlds. Like, and it's your literal 10 out of 10, one rep max. Is it inevitable that you leak or like, is it just like, do, is it not going to happen depending on some things is like, does that make sense? Because my perception of it is that like, like total capacity, like if there's stuff in your bladder and you're like, really, really like, you know, just with the female anatomy. It's, it might happen at your highest threshold load, right? Or am I, is that a misnomer on, misnomer on my part? 
It may not. Honestly, it can be hit or miss. Um, you know, I know because I I push the limits of human performance here. So I've definitely I've had moments where I feed myself and then moments where I'm totally fine. I'll still wear the pee pad in case. I do have a specific loading strategy for meat day or days where I know I'm pushing this threshold. Uh, some things that I've found really helped in this situation. Loading in fluids the night before. I don't like drinking a lot the day of. So let's say I have a 9 a.m. weigh-in time. Realistically, I don't want a lot in my bladder the morning of. Don't cut weight, ladies. And I'll tell you why not to cut weight, because if you're not cutting weight, you can have your Pedialyte the night before. So every other sucker is having their Pedialyte after they get off of that scale. I'm already hydrated stepping onto the scale. So I drink an entire Pedialyte the night before. Uh, the morning of, my normal big coffee cup is not a big coffee cup. I take those four ounce espresso shots from Starbucks, right? Minimize the amount of fluid ounces total, uh, a shit ton of salt. <laughs> I'm having like 2000 milligrams worth of sodium in like a very condensed amount there um, and a little creatine. And that's what I'm sipping on meat day. And I'll find I actually don't pee that often on meat day. It's not, that's not the hardest one. The hardest one for me is training late at night. Yeah. Because at that point you've been drinking all day. I think it's almost easier to train in the morning um, and even then though, people have to be smart. Like you can't be drinking a smoothie, your coffee and your creatine, and then wondering why it's you're flirting with fire training day. But if you focus in on a lot of the fluid ounces, you'll find you can get ahead on a lot of these things. Yeah. And I think like the thing too, I think about is like, if you do, if you pee on the platform, F it, nobody like we shouldn't care. Right. If it doesn't happen, great. And it's one of the hard things about it is. Like literally it's one of those things that people are going, you, you, if it, if you are concerned about it, like you're going to be a little bit anxious about it and that's going to detract from performance. Right. So we'd rather have you just focus on performance. And, you know, I think that is one of the things that I have seen positively in, in like in meets and stuff is like nobody bats an eye. Right. It's like, yeah, good. You know, and like, that's not to normalize it, like, because we want to manage it better. We want to help people manage it better, but also like at the end of the day, F it. Like you just deadlifted 400 pounds. Awesome. Sick. That's what matters. Right. So, um, but those are good tips. And honestly, like, let's talk about this cutting weight or worrying about your weight. Like I, I jokingly said to you a couple of days ago, um, when we were preparing for this, that like you have, you're, you have bigger, like much bigger thighs than uh, a mutual friend, uh, Frank Benedetto. <laughs> um, but like, why is everybody obsessed with like fitting or like being into a weight category when they would probably perform way better and feel better a little bit heavier? Number one lesson I learned from wrestling, man, it was so bad that I can never do that to myself again. So I think having come from one weight class related sport where the solution was always cut, put in perspective for you. So before I ever started manipulating my weight, sat around 125 to 128. My first year on the wrestling team, I cut to 112. First of all, that's awful. I also lost my period in this. Lots of reasons this is unhealthy for particularly teenage girls, yeah. right? So I made those mistakes for too long. I went to 112, 119. Finally in college, we were at 125. And I was like, okay, thanks. At least we're like kind of within the regular range now. When I joined the powerlifting team, they were like, oh, you can be 63 kilos, 138 pounds. I'm like, 
shit, that sounds great. That sounds way better than what I had been doing. Uh, and in time, I ended up filling it out. Eventually, the weight classes changed, and I was left with a decision to make. Do I want to go down? So I was at 63 kilos. The decision was to either go down to 60 kilos or go up to 67.5 kilos. And I think with my history of wrestling, it could have been very easy to trick myself into cutting being the solution. Uh, I'll say I'm very thankful that I had a coach that echoed these words to me that just said, hey, it's okay to go up a weight class. You know what? You're going to be strong. You're going to be shredded. You're going to feel better. And we're going to get you to the same level that you're at right now. And the irony is I won nationals. It would have been way harder for me to win nationals in the weight class lower. Like, I don't think people realize that the advantage could be to go up. Sometimes you may dodge someone else, or you just may be way stronger even now. So they changed the qualifying totals in USA powerlifting. The qualifying total for the weight class up is only five kilos higher than my weight class. If I could add another seven kilos to my body mass, yeah, those extra five kilos are definitely coming onto my total. Uh, so I don't think people conceptualize that sometimes, but I think they just need to hear the words. It's okay to go up a weight class. Uh, I think the other thing, like if you had told me that I would have been this shredded and confident at 150 pounds when I was cutting down to 112, would not have believed you. Uh, the fact is now that I know girls that are 200 pounds and they're freaking shredded. Yeah. And that used to be this number we thought was heavy, right? 200 pounds for a female was like, no. Literally, I know girls six packs at yeah. 200. So I think reconceptualizing what these numbers mean, but also being those voices that like with our own athletes, if a girl asks you, what weight class should I go? Tell her not to cut because unless you're on a world stage or maybe like nationals duking it out for a place finishing, you don't really need to be cutting weight for these things. I just in general for people like <clears throat> if unless it's like a it's like you're trying to do something from a health standpoint. It's like just stay where you are. <laughs> like stay where you are or uh you know I I have a client that's been with me who I love, been with her, she's been with me for a long time. She's kind of she's and that's the hard part about it is there like the the weight categories are tricky because there's 60 or 67 and a half right now right is it 67 and a half right um and it's like you would probably and she she doesn't even fill out the 60 like i'm like just fill out the 60 try to do your best to fill out that it's tricky because it's not a very big range right but like honestly think about the things that we care about too like having a bigger butt and bigger thighs not a problem in like, in my opinion, for most people, right? Like, so just like add, you know, eat some mac and cheese and go squat. Like it's going to be <laughs> fine. But there is like a certain amount of honestly people. And I have done this too. Um, You know, when I broke like 200 pounds as like a male, like as like, oh, I'm an adult male now. Right. Which is a stupid freaking thing. Um, But growing up, like it was like, oh, uh, being 160 pounds, at 511 was like what is kind of expected normal stuff and like i in a lot of ways i look and i feel better now um at a higher weight right and it, uh, letting muscle and the, the other hard part about it is you have to be patient and you have to just kind of let your nor body normalize right and we have a hard time doing that if we're stepping on the scale and like looking at ourselves judgmentally in the mirror right because like it is most people I feel like don't even know conceptually 
how good they would look and feel if they were at like a good weight, right? What they have in their brain is I need, I'm, I'm a five, seven female. I should weigh 140 pounds. Right. And it's like, you don't know, like you could probably weigh 170 and feel great and look great and move well. Right. That's the tricky part. Um, women probably more in that, like getting smaller type of thing than men, but men do it too. Right. Like, um, I, like I know a few guys who are like I'm gonna cut like down like by you know two weight classes so I can try to get I'm like you're not you're gonna feel like crap so there's a lot to that uh human the 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 human mind is an interesting thing right so um let's talk about just like the the um you you mentioned like like losing your period as a female athlete right and like globally like performance and health and we've talked about longevity and sustainability and stuff but like yeah do we miss the boat when it comes to performance and health like and how do we miss the boat like what are some things that you see for in powerlifting and sports in physical therapy i think the biggest thing is having these conversations that's really where people miss it um, I understand maybe why no one had that conversation with me in high school as like the only girl on the men's wrestling team. None of the coaches were probably like, let's ask this girl if she still has their period, like if she still has her period. Um, but I mean, that's that's a hallmark sign that someone is overtraining and under eating is if they're losing their period. But asking the questions, uh, I'll say I also fractured my ankle. Not a single person asked me. That's a red flag. If you have young females and they're fracturing things, it doesn't matter what kind of fracture. That is like the number one question I ask because I want to understand their skeletal maturity. But estrogen has such a role on bone health, bone strength. So another thing to be mindful of there. Um, I would say that's one of the big conversations if you're working with younger females. Uh, Postmenopausal females, that should also be a question you're going to want to consider there. I work a lot with pregnancy, postpartum, right? If when they get it back, postpartum, those kind of things. Or if they're trying to conceive things I want to be mindful of, I'm not going to program their heaviest workout right before ovulation because I want energy demands to go to, um, you know, babies, things like that. Uh, I would say other conversations not being had, definitely the peeing issue. Um, I think male coaches are being better about referring that out, at least being like, hey, you know what, there's a solution for this. Let me connect you with someone I know who is good in the pelvic health world. Um, as much as we think we're not having these conversations with females, these conversations aren't being had with males. So while girls are more likely to pee themselves on the platform, you guys are more likely to poop yourself on the platform. Yep. And now if we're embarrassed about talking about peeing ourselves, imagine as these manly men concern or you know at what point are you concerned they'll laugh it off like oh I pooped a little bit on my heavy squat but I'm like if this is frequently happening to you while you're squatting this should be something that you address with pelvic floor PT as well so uh, I think having these conversations with men is equally as important yeah I also think like I did a podcast with another guy a couple of weeks ago and we talked about like like erectile dysfunction and overall health being a kind of a dis like Men, men, uh, like, this is kind of a global statement. Please don't take anything I say as, like, a cure, you know, like, a, something super broad and stuff. But, like, a lot of men are, like, lost in, like, their 20s to 30s in, in, like, modern day because we don't really know where to fit in for certain things. And, like, you know, uh, like, the female athlete triad is kind of a dead giveaway of, like, all right, probably not eating enough, probably over-exercising, 
probably other stressors involved in life that we're not taking into account. Right. And like for men, a lot of it's like mental health issues, uh, like sexual dysfunction issues. And then just a lot of other things that kind of become like this, I never say it right. Malu of like symptoms that were like, it's one thing. And it's like, no, it's not. It's a bunch of things. Right. Um, you made a really good point about, so I want to go to, because there's people saying, women should work out differently than men because of their period. Right. Um, and there's people who say, no, like there's like, where do you fall on that? And, um, what are your general, what's your general philosophy on like programming around the the cycle? General philosophy, 90 to 95% of women do not need menstrual cycle triggered training programs. Uh, very few situations where I would recommend it. Uh, if someone's very sensitive, some women just get hit. And, and even then, you know, when they get hit is different for each person, right? It's, do you get hit worse with the upswing of estrogen versus progesterone? You're going to find it. But even then, you're not going to start them on a program like this. Like I'll usually figure it out after a few months. And then, you know, I just notice that their strength takes a dip on a particular week, like a hard dip then maybe I'm just going to start accommodating for that. And you know what? That's going to be their light week. <laughs> and then I notice they're really strong. I'm like, you know what? Like, okay, we're just going to do four week waves. So that's a really easy way to do it. For the most part, you can four week wave them. Um, again, though, not doing this for a lot of people. It's really just those that I've noticed after several check-ins are particularly sensitive. Uh, and then those who are trying to conceive. So if you're actively trying to get pregnant, uh, again, you have finite energy storages and I want your energy storages to go to conception versus your workout there's time and place you know we'll push it but around ovulation I'm purposely going to have that week prior be on the lighter side um, so those are the times that I do want to be more mindful of it yeah and I think what we don't want people to hear is like there's like there's hard and fast rules right like there's a lot of it and this is just programming and coaching in general is like over time you start to see people's tendencies and what they respond to and we make little adjustments right and i think one of the things i i'm i'm i need to make some form of content about this is like every piece of content out there is general advice until like we have talked it is not specifically for you it's just either a question or a prompt. And there's so much content out there that is like, this is what you should do. And it's like, no, like that. I mean, me and you don't really put out content like that anyway, but like most of this is like, we need to start a conversation that is built around you so that we can adjust the variables that feel good for you. Um, as opposed to this is the way that it is right. Like, and that, that could be applied to lifting in general, that could be applied to health, right? There's just so much that we need to have individual conversations about. Um, so no, I love that. Thank you for confirming my bias because I just am in that camp where it's like, we probably don't need to micromanage this too much. You just need to accept. And this is where it comes back to like Mike to share. Just take what's there. Like if he, I had a shitty training day yesterday, I think I've been sick and I just kind of didn't have a whole lot of energy. I just went in and did what I could. And like, I used to beat myself up and then I'd go do more work as a way to try to accommodate that. And it's like, no, you just didn't have a great day. So if you go try to try to change that, you're just setting, this is like pulling back, right? You're just setting yourself up for another shitty day, you know, a couple of days from now. Right. And um, so, no, I love that perspective. Let's, uh, okay, so I don't want to take up a ton of your time. Like the last couple things I want to talk about or ask about are 
Um, what? So you want to power lift forever, right? But what other things from a physical standpoint that you may think you want to pursue at some point or another? Or are Definitely. there anything? Yeah, my bucket list of physical activities. So uh, I know you just went to Zion. So a big camper, hiker. Uh, that's really what I stay strong for is just being able to gallivant all over the U.S. Uh, I do want to hit all the national parks. So I'm doing a nice road trip around Colorado this coming year, two weeks just backpacking. Uh, so I love doing those kind of things. Uh, I would love to do a sprint triathlon for fun. I used to be a competitive swimmer. I suck at running, decent at cycling. I feel like it's like powerlifting where you can make up for being really crappy at one by being good at the other, which is why I wouldn't do a fully running based event. I'm like, you know, I, I recognize these short little legs, great for squatting, terrible for running. But the sprint try seemed like a manageable uh, decision there. And then I honestly think I will come back to my original roots. Karate. Oh, yeah. That is what I started in. Yep. Doing the katas. I did karate tournaments. Uh, well, that's kind of how I got into wrestling, actually. It was because I did karate since first grade. My mom was a black belt. She signed me up. That was kind of like the first organized sport I played uh, besides soccer, which I would love to get back into soccer. I just get a little nervous by like how competitive some of these leagues are. Oh, yeah. Cool to be tearing my ACL. <laughs> we made got, it out of those days. I got like good. four checked in a in a rec league game. Like I was like going for a ball and a dude just straight up checked me in the back like as I'm like moving forward. And like everybody on my team was like, dude, like they and they like called a penalty. But like I'm like, dude, like what's up with that? And it's weirdly competitive. I mean, I'm that would be me, though. I would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm pushing people, but like there was a leg legitimate like push me in the back. Like, you know, you're kind of trying to jack me up type of situation. It was pretty funny, but I do. It's been really fun to play soccer. It helps me from a, like a team sport perspective. Cause that's one of the things you like, you kind of miss. Right. But I'm with you. You gotta be careful. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, on the lifting side, I definitely want to do another strongman show. Uh, I want to do a weightlifting competition as well as a super total. So in a super total combined powerlifting, weightlifting in one day, um, Okay, so this is another reason I need a coach is because I sign up for random competitions. He vetoes my ideas. So I did sign up for a lunge competition last year, which I had to bow out of because I had a powerlifting meet. And so he told me to choose, but I'm coming after. I saw the numbers 225. You already know I'm training for this lunge competition. Uh, and I want to do a strict curl. So my dream at the Arnold one year so this year I'm in two events. I've got the full power powerlifting. I got the bench only. Next year, if I could also get into the strict curl, make it do like full power, bench only, and strict curl, that would be like the ultimate Arnold vision. Yeah. I And I will say like, uh, just your coach uh, probably doesn't necessarily veto you. He just asks you, so what do you really want to do, right? Like, or what do you really care about? Because I don't think like, like good coaches don't just straight up say like, don't do that shit. We, they ask us questions. Right. And I don't perceive uh, Jeremy Hartman to be that way per se. Uh, it's really just like, what do you want here? Because there's going to be trade-offs. Right. Definitely. Uh, but um, no, super cool. I honestly, if you're going to do it, if you're like, if you can swim, I think that's the real create, like the real, like, that's why I haven't done a triathlon. It's cause like, I hate the idea and I like being in the water, I just hate swimming competitively. Like it's, it just scares the shit out of me. So 
um no I, I love that i love all those things and it's like also just a testament to the fact that like you know we're not here for a long time so powerlifting's great but like do other stuff that you enjoy i mean <clears throat> i love um ian sagan was kind of like my last just straight up powerlifting coach uh great great guy super strong super smart but like I'm like, dude, I just want to play soccer. And he's like, well, just go, you know, like it, it, like to some degree, I think I perform better lifting when I'm playing another sport because I don't, it's not the only thing in my life. Like I can go play soccer and I can enjoy it and I can come in and just lift for what it is. Right. So I love all that. Um, and honestly travel, like the national parks are sick. Like, so good for you. I'm with you on that front. So, um, do you have any in Iowa? No, there's no <laughs> Iowa is just cornfields. I was like, what's out there? <laughs> yeah. I love Iowa. Great place. Nothing of like anything. Beautiful cornfields, you know, like, but it's there's nothing beautiful from a national park standpoint. Um we want to go to uh have you been to the one in Maine? Um no oh, yeah, Acadia. Acadia. Yeah. Highly recommend. Okay, cool. We got it. We're gonna go check that one out in the not too distant future. So and then Alaska is on our radar, Hawaii is on our radar, so super cool um all right what are you working on right now what's new um like are you doing anything new anything special like pitch yourself a little bit oof <laughs> i was like what am i working on right now now there's always things i call it a soaps soundboard analogy so if you go to a concert you know how they have all these little knobs and things like that notice that not all the knobs are turned up at the same time right when one knob goes up another knob comes down uh, so in terms of the knobs that I got turned up right now, I got the Arnold coming up two weeks. That's a big one. Uh, I have my athletes are also lifting in it. So I have one of my own athletes is going to beat the Arnold. Uh, my I'm building a army of women lifters. So I want to roll in deep to nationals one day. So I'm, we're building up the army. Army is looking strong. So I love seeing all the ladies getting stronger there. Uh, and then we're both part of Honey Badgers. So that's another thing that I help out with as well. Um, and then Barbell Rehab is another big thing that I do. So I released my own course with them. Wow, it's wild how time flies. It was two years ago that I released my first course. Hint, hint, I'm coming out with a second course. I have to keep some things under wrapped, but there should be a second course coming out from me in the fall. So I'm going to be starting on working that. And then I do teach the Barbell Rehab Certification course, so I get to travel all over the U.S. When I'm not doing those things, you can catch me refereeing high school and collegiate nationals uh, for powerlifting, and that's pretty much uh, the soundboard right there. Is Do you know if collegiate nationals is, like, filled up? I just said, like, something. Oh, yeah. Is it that's the up? biggest hot mess. Also, my favorite powerlifting competition, oh, yeah. and didn't realize how lucky I was to experience collegiates until... I no longer have it. Um, there's something special about having 50 teammates to cheer you on to pull a stupid PR to win, right? Like it's because you're duking it out against these other schools. And there is like, you know, the we are Penn State, like all these school chants, uh, the Raging Cajuns have cowbells. It is competitive. And then like, those are the times. So you asked me when I was most competitive, those are the times I would leave it all on the line, whatever. Yeah. Put yeah. something stupid on the bar, 15 kilo PR to try to pull to win, do it. Um, but yeah, so that's a fun one. Four days, thousand lifters, it'll be good. Yeah. So like that, so there was a I think somebody at this last meet I was just at, they they did they 
they set or they qualified for collegiate nationals and then they we were like looking it up and she's like oh it's closed and i'm like i think it closed like a little while ago but uh yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate because it like you could qualify and not get in right and that's just kind of the nature of the beast but no all those things are awesome um where can we find you on instagram you can find me at sofa.squats very yeah awesome very good handle so <laughs> Uh, no, this has been really fun. Much appreciated, Soph, as always. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast. I'm stoked. This will be a good one. Oh, yeah. All right.